0: Welcome back to another episode of Remy Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is the final episode in the series of my General Conference October 2021 review. This episode is the Sunday afternoon session. sessions five reviews we are on the last one the last five weeks it's been interesting to look back and i've i've tried to be as neutral and composed as i can in in what i've been producing i i want to allow space for a believer to listen to these things and make decisions about their lives but also push back on things that i just that i think are either untenable or just outright wrong. There were a lot of talks that I enjoyed. When I, say, when I say that, what I mean is there were good lessons taught, couched within a religious ideology, and even though I don't believe, I can recognize that, that some good things are being taught and put forward. I am eager to get back to my regular content, and so next week it will be back to normal, which is... <laughs> A random assortment of of whatever I'm thinking about. So let's jump into this. Let's get this last one done. The first speaker in the Sunday afternoon session was Elder Garrett W. Gong. And the talk is called Trust Again. The, The message he's trying to put across is that trust in God and trust in one another as people is what brings about peace in our lives. There isn't a lot that I want to focus on this one. He talks about trusting in God and the things that that can do for us. He makes a statement um, pretty early on in his talk that made a few questions come to my mind. He's talking about trusting in God and trusting in his, his ability to guide our lives. And he makes this statement. He says, as we reflect on trust, we know God is a God of truth And canst not lie. You can tell when they're quoting something when they suddenly jump into King James English. (laughs) Anyway, he continues on. He says, we know truth is a knowledge of things as they are, were, and are to come. We know continuing revelation and inspiration fit unchanging truth to changing circumstances. This got me thinking a little bit. And I think the statement that God cannot lie is a very strong statement. And being able to trust your deity to tell you the truth is important. I think it is. And some of the questions that come to my mind are these. But let's concede. Let's think this through. If God cannot lie and he only tells the truth, are there any implications about the capacity of the prophets to speak in the name of God? If this statement is true, and based on what we know about the changes in doctrines and policies and direction of the church throughout its history, what implication does a statement like this have on the ability of a prophet to speak in the name of God? I think even the most generous interpretation of a question like this would lead someone to recognize that they are wrong with some Regularity, And then the question becomes, and this I'm saying, again, from the perspective of a believer, how can you know when what they're saying is coming from God? I don't want to touch too much more on this talk. He, he went on to make a lot of statements that I felt were harmful. Again, I usually listen to these and I recognize what a previous version of myself might have thought. And someone with scrupulosity would probably take some of these statements very harshly. The next speaker was uh, Bishop L. Todd Budge. And his talk was called Giving Holiness to the Lord. As the bishop presiding over the entire church, he talks about a lot of the humanitarian efforts that the church has done. He calls back to the talk given by by Sister Eubank uh, from the night before. I don't really want to dive too much into this because I feel like it's a subject that I've covered in just about every episode of this review of General Conference. I've already said my thoughts on it, so I don't really need to dig too, too much deeper into it. But I guess, I guess I do have one more thing that I would like to say. I want to clarify something, and I think I might have come off as implying that the church can't take credit for the humanitarian efforts on the local level. When I think that it can. If the church is. Encouraging its members to. Act in a charitable way. And the members do. I think they do a lot of good. And I, I don't want to minimize. The, the, the good that is done. They talk about the. Donations that the members offer. For these. Uh, the variety of scenarios given. And. The the point that I want to illustrate is not that the members don't do good things because I think they do. And I think that the church can take credit for those because it's encouraging that sort of a behavior. The problem is, is the church as an institution is not mirroring these behaviors that it's trying to encourage in its members. That is my criticism. The next speaker was Elder Anthony D Perkins. The talk was called Remember thy suffering saints, O our God. I understand the direction he's trying to go with this, and I actually really appreciate it. But there are some implications that I don't like about it. There's a couple of quotes that I really like. He's trying to shift the mentality that is inherent in a lot of purity culture religions. It's that the amount of blessings you receive has a correlation with your worthiness and obedience. And in contrast, the tragedies and hardships of your life correlate to unworthiness. He says uh, a couple of minutes into the talk, he says a line that, that I really think is important. He says, first, suffering does not mean God is displeased with your life. Elder Perkins here is trying to shift the culture away from unhealthy misinterpretation that people have about life. He goes on to cite a story from the New Testament that hits home for me. I don't like the implications that this had about God. And it was something that I had to grapple with for a long time. He says, 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples saw a blind man at the temple and asked, Master, who did sin? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. His disciples seemed to incorrectly believe, as do far too many people today, that all hardship and suffering in life are the result of sin. But the Savior replied, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And this, he's, the story he's citing is from John 9. I'll keep reading what he has to say, and then I'll say, and then I'll explain why this kind of hits home for me and is a really sensitive subject. He goes on to ask what this important work of God is that's manifest. And he says, so I'm, I'm skipping a paragraph, but it's he's setting up what this work of God is. He says, The Lord told his covenant people, I have refined thee. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Whatever the cause of your sufferings, your loving Heavenly Father can direct them to refine your soul. Refined souls can bear others' burdens with true empathy and compassion. Refined souls who have come out of great tribulation are prepared to joyfully live in God's presence forever, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to show God as loving and he's trying to show God as as having a reason to give us these sufferings, to give us trials and and hardships so that we can become better people. But the uncomfortable implication of this is, is something that's real life for my family. He starts it off by talking about a child who was born blind. And gives the reason that he was born blind so that God can manifest his work in this blind man. And then Elder Perkins here goes on to explain that it's through these trials that we are refined by God. So that we can have empathy and compassion and that we're prepared to live with God forever. So what he's saying here is that God sent this blindness to this person to try him. The reason this hits home for me is one of my children, I have three kids, I haven't talked too much about them, but, but they're fairly young still. One of my children was born with a differently abled body in my child's short life, they have undergone five surgeries. two of them were in the first year. And these surgeries were to enable this, enable them to live a normal life. And they can. They're, the impediment is not something that's incurable. But it will affect them for their entire life. And We're not done with surgeries yet. We have a number more to do in their teenage years. And it's, it's been a long process, but we're moving through it and we're doing the best we can. Now, when this happened, when my child was born this way, it was the cause of a lot of grief for my wife and I, because we didn't understand why it happened. Why us? Why this child? If I am to understand this talk correctly, he's saying that God did this to my child so that he could try us, so that he could refine my child and my wife and myself. This concept is not congruent with a loving God. What sort of a loving father would maim their child to test them? It seems like if this were true, and God does do this, this seems almost like narcissistic behavior. Hurting them, and then forcing them to be reliant on you for redemption. It's if you're going to say that God is loving This is not something a loving God would do. It's not, period. This last week I went and saw Dune, the new movie that came out. Um, For those in the future, maybe listening down the road, this is the uh, 2021 Dune, the first part of it, that uh, was directed by Dennis Villanueva, and the music of the music in this movie Phenomenal! Uh, Hans Zimmer did a great job. A lot of good things I could say about this movie. Uh, I bring it up because there's a scene in this movie that really shows a father's love, and I want to describe it just in contrast of how God is portrayed as loving here, in comparison to what, in my mind, is what a loving father should be now (laughs) i'm not going to go too far into the storyline of dune i guess it's been a long time explaining it great story love it the the pertinent information that you need to know for this setup is it's a father and a son the father is a duke they're moving and the father is aware that he's going to die and he knows that he's being betrayed by the emperor and by this other competing house and he's having a chat with his son and he doesn't tell his son that, but he's having a chat with his son. He's talking to his son about his son eventually becoming Duke and taking over. And the son says, I don't know if I want to be the Duke. I don't know if I want this sort of responsibility. He's doing the the classic refusal to the call that uh, the hero does in many stories. And then the line That his father says back to him. It hit me so hard. Because it was was the most loving thing. That could be said in a situation like this. The father looked at his son and he said. Even if you decide. Not to become the duke. You will still be everything I needed you to be. My son. I'm getting emotional just. Just rethinking about this scenario. It's, it's a love without expectations. He didn't take anything away from his son and say, I'll only give this back to you if you become the Duke. He let his son be who he was and accepted him for whatever his son decided. I bring that up. To show an important contrast in the way that God is portrayed as loving his people. Because if God is a loving God, I don't think that this presentation of him is accurate, as told by Elder Perkins here. The next speaker was Elder Michael A. Dunn of the 70. And it was called 1% Better. I actually really liked this talk. Um, He talks about basically small goals and small, small changes that we can make to become better people. And as I said, I think in last week's episode, since leaving the Mormon church, that has become a lifelong goal of mine is to be a better person a little bit every single day. I try and incorporate um, some stoic philosophies in my, in my life. I really like what he said. It's a good talk. Go listen to it. Uh, but there was one thing that he said that It made me think of a previous episode I've done the episode where I talked about the trolley problem and the, the church. He makes a statement in here that just, it made me think of the the trolley problem and think about it from the perspective of Jesus Christ. And I think, I think it gives us the solution that Christ would do in this trolley problem. If you haven't listened to it, go back, listen to the episode and, uh, where I describe it more in detail, but basically the trolley problem is this. You have a train that's going down one track, and on that track up ahead are five people that it will run over. There is a switch in the track where you can divert it so that it will save those five people, but on this other track that you divert it to, there is one person on the track. So regardless of the decision you make, someone will get hit by this train. And then the question is, how do you make the right choice? And how do you know what the right choice is? So here, I'll jump into this, to what this elder said here, what Elder Dunn said here. He's talking about the British uh, cycling coach, Dave Brailsford. And then he relates um, what this coach has done to Jesus. He says, his approach aligns well with that of the Lord, who taught us the criticalness of the 1%, even at the expense of the 99%. Of course, he was teaching the gospel imperative to seek out individuals in need. But what if we applied that same principle to the very sweet and savory second principle of the gospel, repentance? He takes this down the route of repentance and he tries to actually present repentance in a bite-sized model, if you will. One percent better. One little change and then followed by one little change until you become a better person, which I think is valid. I may disagree with some of the things that they consider sin, but this method is a good way to teach becoming a better person. But back to this, back to this thought, he said that Christ left the ninety and nine and went for the one. And the implication on this, back in the episode where I talked about the trolley problem, the implication is that Christ would leave the church and go after the LGBTQ plus community, or he would leave the establishment and go after the marginalized. I think this illustrates where the church leadership is not following what Christ would have done. The next speaker was Elder Sean Douglas of the 70, and the talk was called Facing Our Spiritual Hurricanes by Believing in Christ. Not a lot I want to say on this one. He just talks about hardships and how you can find peace in belief in christ I told some stories about his family if you lean towards belief on the spectrum i think it's a great talk i think you could you could learn a lot and be strengthened in your belief in christ from this talk the next speaker was elder carlos g ravillo jr and the talk was called miracles of the gospel of jesus christ again not a lot that i want to say on this one he's talking about repentance compared soap making apparently he was uh he worked in a soap factory in the philippines and he so he compared soap making to repentance and he talked about some of the generational uh, blessings and benefits of being a member of the church the next speaker was elder alvin f meredith the third his talk was called look down the road and i'm not going to dive too deep into this one it was a really drawn out analogy of learning how to drive and how that relates to being a better disciple of christ the next one that i want to speak about and i think my (laughs) what i have to say on this might not align with maybe some of the other exmo responses to it this was interesting this talk did stand out to me for a couple of reasons and I, i want to give my thoughts on it because i'm trying to be i'm trying to be balanced in this So this is Elder Neil L. Anderson, and the talk is The Name of the Church is Non-Negotiable. He's citing back to President Nelson back in 2018, where he announced the name of the church, and honestly, there's one thing that Elder Anderson says that I think is valid. Now, I might disagree with some of the other things, but he does actually make a good point, And, and this actually... Has affected the way that I, and this, this will affect the way that I try my best to uh, speak about the church. So here's, here's what he says. And uh, he's quoting President Nelson here. And this is what he said was a, a discussion between the two of them shortly after this announcement was made. This is Elder Anderson quoting President Nelson. He says, he acknowledged that it was going to be a challenge to reestablish the name of the church and undo a tradition of more than 100 years. But he added, the name of the church is non-negotiable. They've heard all the criticisms. They've heard people talking about it, people saying, basically fighting back against this name change. They do make the claim that the church has always been called The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I don't know that that's a tenable claim. So the original name of the church, actually, when it was established in 1830, April 6th, was the Church of Christ. They just called it the Church of Christ. In the Restorationist movement that was going on in upstate New York, there were a lot of churches that were being restored. And this was a common name, and a lot of people used that name. So in May 1834, the church adopted a new name, and this one was was the Church of the Latter-day Saints. The, the name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is a reference to Doctrine and Covenants 115, verses 3 and 4, I'm pretty sure. And in those verses, it says that the church is supposed to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Nelson does have a scriptural basis here, but the claim that it was always called this is not accurate because for the eight years prior to this, it had a couple of different names. This section was written in April 26th of 1838. So before this point in time, it had at least two other names. I haven't dug too much into the history of this, and so um, if someone knows a little bit more on this subject and wants to correct me, go right ahead, shoot me a message, and I will. (laughs) I'll talk about it in a later episode. He addresses the elephant in the room, the I'm a Mormon campaign, and basically everyone, every adult of the church now, having grown up being considered a Mormon and being proud of being Mormon, he addresses that and he talks about it, But he, he's trying to push the organization in a new direction. And he, he says the restoration is a process, not an event. All things come to pass in their time. He's trying to establish a precedent for changes like this and express that this is the name that they want to be called by. And he he talks about some of the, you know, the logo change and some of the changes across, across the church because of this emphasis on the name of the church, one of the things that he did say that I think, I think is important, and I am going to try and be better. This is their preferred name. This is what they want to be called by. So I'm going to read what uh, I'm going to read what he says here. This is this is almost at the end of his talk. He says. We realize that adding six words to, the, to our name would not be ideal for the media. But as President Nelson foretold, responsible media will be sympathetic in responding to our request. And then this is Elder Anderson talking again. He says, Thank you for extending to us the same consideration given cultural, athletic, political, or community organizations by using our preferred name. There will be a few who hoping to detract or diminish the seriousness of our mission will continue to call us Mormons or the Mormon Church. With courtesy, we again ask the fair-minded of the media to honor our desire to be called by our name of nearly 200 years. While there's many that might disagree with a name change or have their reasons for not liking it, they have established their preferred name and they want to be called that So, from here on out, this podcaster, I'm going to do my best to say the full name. Instead of saying Mormons, I think I'm going to try and say Latter day Saints to be respectful of this request. Uh, This was a sincere request, and I don't see any reason not to try. Now, there's a connection here that I do want to make. There are many people both in the church and out of the church, where their physical body does not match what their spirit or what they feel on the inside. And these people request to be identified by a different gender than what they may present or may have presented at birth. And they may change their name. Just as I respect someone who transitions from one gender to another, and their name change and their pronoun change, I think I should also respect a church that wants to change its name. And by extension, if the church wants the world to offer it this courtesy, we should expect the church to offer the transgender community this same courtesy. I want to add here, I am stepping a little bit outside my comfort zone. So if I have used a word that might be offensive, please correct me. If I've said something that may offend the transgender community with some of my words here, please correct me. I am learning, and I want to be understanding and to be a better person with this. So I don't represent this community, so I, I, uh, I want to be respectful. If I have offended, or if something I said was not correct with the way I, I referred to it, please, please let me know. The last speaker was President Russell M. Nelson. And this talk was called Making Make Time for the Lord. He spoke about some of the influences that people have in their life, social media and whatnot, and how daily scripture study and prayer is is important. He talked about focusing on Christ, uh, basically thanked the people listening. He cited all of the new temples again, which (laughs) felt a little bit like self-aggrandizement. But uh, I'll let the listener decide for themselves on that one. And then concluded the session. So that is it. That is my review of the October 2021 general conference. Lots of different things said, lots of different ideas presented. And there are some things that I did like. There were some talks that I liked, some changes in direction that I think were emphasized in a good way. Unfortunately, the talks that I liked the best did not come from the Twelve Apostles or the Prophet, and so they unfortunately won't carry the same weight as if they had. But at least things like good mental health are being put out over the pulpit at General Conference. I think that's really important. I have done my best to remain neutral and balanced in this review, There were also some things that I didn't like, but they weren't anything new, really. As I said in, I can't remember which which episode it was that I said this in, but if you come to General Conference looking for every negative thing they're going to say, you'll find it, even as a believer. And I don't think that's a healthy way to approach any subject. And that's not a fair way for me to approach another human being, because that's who these people are. They're human beings. And so am I. The way I look at other people as a part of a human community. (laughs) There may be some ex-Mormons or post-members of the church that uh, don't like my approach. And I understand that. That's fine. You don't have to like me. And you don't have to like the way I approach this. My reason for approaching it this way is calculated. It is a reaction to my natural tendencies to want to be mean and to want to look for the negative. That's what I want to do. But I I decide how I want to interact. I decide how I want to approach these things. And I recognize that it does me and my mental health no good to continuously search for the negative. (laughs) I try not to get too preachy, and I'm sorry if that's where I went with this one. (laughs) I had a lot of people reach out to me about my recommendation for watching the show midnight mass i appreciate those that (laughs) that sent me messages and and talked about it a little bit i actually did have some people that wanted me to share my thoughts on it and how it related to mormonism so i might do that down the road but by the time that comes out it won't be halloween so i won't really have the kairos or uh, timeliness i love shows i love movies and books i'm always i'm always reading or watching something so if you want me to keep making recommendations for shows that I think are good or that could be impactful and and uh, powerful experiences, I'll keep mentioning some of the things that I'm watching. I did mention Dune today. I thought that it, I thought that that scene applied really well to the talk that I was discussing. I'm rambling. <laughs> I guess that means I should close this one off. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out and listening to my thoughts on, on General Conference. I I hope you've enjoyed these episodes and I want you all to have an excellent day.